Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Respected listeners of Marqa Sahaba We welcome you to this program It is our advices interview segment And as you know today it is with Mufti Muhammad Akusab Tamad Barakatuh Let's welcome Mufti Sahab Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh for joining us. Mufti Sahib, in when Palestine fell from Muslim hands in 1099, who were the people who stood up first? for that It's an opportunity to share something interesting. Respected Ummah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala blessed us with these lands of Palestine, and as we mentioned, Hazrat Umar who entered Palestine. And Allah gave it to Muslims and the, the people of, of Palestine and the, and the politicians and the priests and the Christian leaders all handed over the key. From, from that time, it has remained in Muslim hands. And for many, many years, for five centuries, up to the year 490, and that in accordance to the Gregorian calendar is 1099. That was the year where we discussed previously how the Crusaders came in and ransacked and murdered brutally Muslims. And when they went into Muslim towns, they didn't differentiate between women and children, civilian. It was everyone. It was gruesome. It was brutal. It was devastating. And worse still was even the backing that they had from the haters of Sahaba, who congratulated them. that as long as you're doing this to the people of Sunnah, it is fine. Then... Palestine fell from Muslim hands. It was the year 1099, and hundreds of thousands of Muslims were massacred. There was a bloodbath. There were limbs floating about everywhere. It was devastating. There was a group of people who ran for safety, and they came to Dimashq, Damascus. And there was an alim who was uh, teaching his dars in the masjid of Dimashq. And subhanallah, he was none other than Abu Ishaq al-Harawi, rahimahullah. Al-Harawi from the town Harat, which is in present-day Afghanistan. And this was a great Hanafi scholar who was teaching, who was a senior scholar. And when he saw this happening, Allahu Akbar, he asked him what had happened. And they had narrated to him what they had just experienced in Palestine. And look at the duty of a Muslim. He didn't just carry on with his own endeavors. He put aside everything. He says, no, you will come with me. And he takes them and escorts them to the capital, which was Baghdad. And immediately they go. So Allahu Akbar, look at how important it is for, for, for the, uh, that we learn from this great halim, the stance that he took, that something is happening there. Palestine has fallen from our hands. Muslims have suffered uh, so much of difficulty. So much of their lives have been massacred. And he had to do something. So he went to Baghdad to meet the Khalifa. And this was a very, very senior alim. He was a great scholar. But it was the sad reality at the time, where at times the Khalifa could not be reached. This was a weakness that had come in, which cannot be justified. So he couldn't meet the Khalifa. You know, the guard had their red tape and... So he said, there's something important that I have to discuss with him. He said, you know, it's not possible to meet him. And uh, in that, he devised a plan. He didn't just give up. He waited for Jumu'ah. He said, in Jumu'ah, the Khalifa has to come, and I'll meet him then. 
And during the Jumu'ah khutbah, what happened also was in the Masjid of Baghdad where the Khalifa prayed. There was another chamber, also they said for the safety of the Khalifa, where he would come out and pray, and that was also inaccessible. So anyway, during the khutbah, this great scholar gets up, and there's bread in his hand, and he eats from that bread. And everyone now starts screaming at him, how can you do this? It's the month of Ramadan, and you have perpetrated such an act. This is taboo. And then he started his presentation, where he eloquently says, yes, you object, and rightfully so, to me doing this in the month of Ramadan, and it has its sanctity and so forth. He says, but why is it that none is doing anything and saying anything when among the, the holiest lands and sites of Islam has now just been violated and our Muslims have been massacred and Muslims have been tormented and their lives have been taken and there's none to say anything or do anything. His speech is documented to be so eloquent and his aura was so impeccable and effective. As you can imagine, that amazing Afghani look with that beautiful imama, which is so close to sunnah. You know, when you see the demeanor and the size Allah has given them and the beautiful appearance. And this is described in history of how amazingly powerful and glorious he appeared. And his presentation was so eloquent. It had such an impact. It brought the people to tears. And this, alhamdulillah, afforded him the opportunity to meet the Khalifa. And he was taken because the Khalifa called for him. And he went and mentioned this to the Khalifa. This is what's going on. What do we do? We can't stand still. We can't carry on as, as, as though nothing has happened. This is Palestine. This is Masjid Aqsa. And the Khalifa was inspired. And alhamdulillah, the next week, Friday, was his lecture in the masjid, and his lecture is described to be most eloquent, Allahu Akbar. So it shows how Allah Ta'ala takes work from different people. It's Allah who does. It's Allah who took this work from him, and from there this inspired the first group of, of people, many scholars and so forth, who, came, who went and fought for Palestine. And interestingly, Alhamdulillah, that first expedition, the Muslims won. And they fought against the, the person, the Christian ruler, who actually took over Palestine at that time. And Alhamdulillah, the Muslims won. But then there was another very, very sad setback. And that is another very, very sad event in history where this Muslim army that fought. Now, there was another governor that was that was not from nearby there in Sham, named Ridwan. And see hypocrisy, how it happens where in politics and in politicians, what he did was he then, before this happened, he went into allegiance with the Christians. And now he supported the Christians against the Muslims. That despite Muslims winning in that battle, and the next march could be to Palestine, but Ridwan went against them. Hmm. And this was his hypocrisy, and this is the sad reality that we are experiencing up to today in so many Muslim lands where no one is prepared to stand up and speak the truth and defend Islam and defend the Muslims. But Alhamdulillah, this was the start 
we generally look at 1099 and then we jump to 11 uh, 1187 where alhamdulillah salafuddin yusuf liberated palestine and masjid al-aqsa but what happened between that in that year those years which was almost a century of how muslims turned to allah and also we learned that it was the ulama that were the first to stand up and remember abu ishaq al-harawi rahimahullah and his amazing brave stance and also we learn a very important lesson no matter one's nationality or color or race or background he was not an arab but he stood up he had a pain in his heart and allah made his movement have a great impact and then we've discussed there after what happened where there were many of those uh, who actually stood up and then there was a sect of Bati Knights that were Shia that massacred many of the Muslims brutally. This was this is so sad in our history of how those who hate Sahaba anhum, always stabbed the Muslims mm-hmm. in the back. But anyway, that was our our discussion to mention how Alhamdulillah Allah took this great work from Abu Ishaq Rahimahullah that he stood up for what was right. Allah help us all stand up for what is right. And let's play our part. And inshallah, towards the end of the discussion, or maybe I can just mention it now, something to do when it comes to our part is very, very importantly, we have to change our lives. We have to make sure our salah is with congregation. We have to aspire to perform the tahajjud. We have to aspire to live a sinful life. And we have to learn from the people of Gaza. Uh, I can hear you perfectly. We have to learn from the people of Gaza. I want to share one hadith concerning Dajjal uh, and link it with this lesson here. One of our students were mentioning this yesterday. A Palestinian student was saying this. Mm. So interesting. That when Dajjal comes, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that uh, the fitan would be so severe that Dajjal would create so much of shubuhat and doubts in people. And also we learn from the hadith, the shahawat will be fulfilled if they comply to the jal. Mm. And the mu'min would suffer. There'll be hunger, there'll be pangs, there'll be difficulty, there'll be lack of resources. But the believer will be living a time where zikrullah will be wow. his nourishment. Mm. Now imagine how strong our iman has to be that the jal would say, take me as your rub and I'll arrange so much for you. The jal has, this is a fitna. Mm-hmm. From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the shayateen will take the form of people's parents to convince them. Now imagine in today, if we can't boycott and leave and shun from our lives items manufactured by those who openly, flamboyantly can say that you Muslims can do nothing and you will still come back, we will support the Zionists and what can you do about it? And we still go back there mm-hmm. and we still have those edibles on our table. What a shame is it? Allahu Akbar. How will we then tolerate and mm. face it when there won't be anything available when there's the jal? And now today, when these people openly say that we will fund those who are bombarding and massacring Muslims for the last 80 years more and more, and you and I cannot, can still not change our lives and we have to remain in our comfort zone, in our brides, we say we still have to have those drinks. And in our homes and our shelves, we still have to have those luxuries. And Allah has still given us so many alternatives. And we plea 
to those who Allah has given prominent positions in big stores, chain stores. Allah has given our Muslims. Aspire, buy from Muslims, support the Muslim. And this is also such a great sunnah. Muhammad al-Fatih, rahimahullah, went into the marketplace before Allah opened Palestine for him, uh, opened Constantinople for him. He said, let me see the mu'amalat of the Muslims. And he went into the marketplace disguised without letting them know that he is the sultan of the Ottoman Empire. This was just before, before the Khilafah of Osmaniyah. And when he went in, he went to purchase something from the market. So he went to a, a, a store and he asked the, the grocer, grocer, that sir, would you serve me? Could, you, could I purchase from you buttermilk and cheese? And he, at the counter, he asks. So the man says, would you purchase from me the butter, but do me one favor, see my neighbor. Half an hour has gone by in the morning. He hasn't done his first sale yet. I thank Allah that at least, alhamdulillah, I did my sale. I want your blessings from Allah. But please, would you purchase another item from my brother? At least he'll do his sale. Allahu Akbar. He goes mm-hmm. next door. He asks for the milk and honey. And the man serves him with milk and says, please, take the honey from my neighbor. He got, you know, a high pedigree quality honey. And uh, I have, but at least he'll also do his first sale. And alhamdulillah, when he did that third purchase, and there was so much of love amongst each other, he returned to his center and he said, leave Constantinople. Allah will bring the world to Islam and at our feet if this is the mu'amalat and the dealings of the Muslims. This is an opportunity for us to learn lessons that the people of Gaza, despite everything, what they're going through, they have taught the world how to be happy with Allah, no matter what the condition. And also how everything happens only in accordance to Allah's will and decree. And our children learn this in the maktab, but we have to enhance this in, in us by giving this da'wah and talking about it. Allah give us the feet. I mean, I mean, Mufti Sahib, Jazakumullah Khairan for this inspiration. Just yes, <clears throat> yesterday too, I was speaking to this Palestinian brother from one of the shops and he said he has a contact for us in Gaza. So when I phoned him to, to, to speak to him today, it's just amazing. Before that, I could contact him, but just before the interview, uh, there was no connection, no reception, nothing. But he was thanking right. me more than me thanking him. He said, MashaAllah, this is something great that you want to share the, what's happening on the ground to the world. But it is 100% true that these people are something else. They character everything. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us. Mufti Sahib, the next question that we have is, uh, many of us have not heard about Azad Umar radiallahu's brother. Mufti Sahib can tell us of his arrival in Palestine. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, Hazrat uh, Umar we all know the greatest of the Ummah after Hazrat Abu Bakr but he would always say may Allah bless my brother and then he would say whenever the wind blows from the east I always think of my brother because Allah he superseded me to two most wonderful things he embraced Islam before me and he became Shaheed before me Hazrat Umar loved his brother Hazrat Umar as, as a young man says that I was, uh, I was busy with my father's work. I would take care of his camels. And my father, he would mention, and this is also a lesson for us, that despite his father's cruelty and harshness, as it Omar complied and he abided and he listened to his father. This was his, his nature, subhanAllah, his amazing quality. And this also teaches us a lesson that we have to obey and we have to do what is right. He said that my father was very harsh with me. And even when I came into town to, you know, to, 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 
to gain some strength, to eat some food, to visit my mother's sisters. I said, Omar's mother was Hantama. She came from the Banu Makhzum family. That's the famous family of Hazrat Khalid bin Walid and Abu Jahal all come from the Banu Makhzum family. Hazrat Umar Salama comes from the same family, Umar Mu'minin radiallahu anha. Hazrat Umar's brother had, was his brother from his same father, but his mother was Asma from another family, another Meccan family. So anyway, Hazrat Umar says whenever I would come and visit my mother's sisters or do something for them, they would love me and call me Yabna Hantama, oh, the son of Hantama, because Hantama was their sister, as Umar's mother had passed on. And then they would give him some food to eat, like the aunt, you know, Al-Khalat would be mentioned little Um, mother's sister is like the mother. And then my father would come behind me and say, what are you doing here? Why aren't you taking care of my camels? So he says, you know, your camels are fine, but what about your son, who also needs to eat, who also has some errands? He says, I am not bothered. My son will be fine if my camels are fine. You just get back to the valley. So Hazrat Umar would then return to the valley of Bajnan, sitting alone, waiting for the camels to eat. He'd spend days and nights there. And he would render poetry and so forth. And then on one occasion he asked his father, because he wanted to get out of this, uh, one is cruelty of his father, the other is shepherding, he didn't like that. And, you know, uh, gossiping, and then especially camels. So he... He asked his father, he said, you know, I would prefer to go into another field like business. So his father said, you and do business, where would you get, you know, a start from? Where would you have an income from the beginning to, to start business? You know how much you need to start? Mm. So his father brushed it off. So he said, oh man, carry it on, you know, under his and so forth, until his brother knew I realized that Omar wanted to do trade. So he brought his savings. His brother was a businessman, and quite prominent. His brother, uh, Zaid was his name was elder than Hazrat Umar. He brings his savings to Umar, and Hazrat Umar was emotioned by it. He says, why do you do this for me? Wait. He says, you are my brother. You take this, and you go to Sham, and you do business. So Hazrat Umar always, you know, remembered his brother. He loved his brother. His brother was so kind to him. He's elder brother. His brother was also, we always hear Hazrat Umar was tall and glorious. His brother was also very tall and beautiful, brown, beautiful, you know. And he had the signs and symptoms of nobility, prudence, generosity, uh, e- equality, justice, you know, similar to Hazrat Umar's uh, qualities, and he is known for his softness as well. Anyway, Hazrat Umar then comes to Palestine, and obviously this was, his, his brother supported him, and he started, he started off his business, and from this business, Hazrat Umar became a very prominent man in, in the Quraysh, because when his father passed away, Hazrat Omar took the post of his father in the parliament of Quraysh because he was now a big businessman. And he became an ambassador for Quraysh, Safiro Quraysh also, like others as well. But Hazrat Omar was quite prominent for that. And he was known for his bravery and his strength and chivalry. So one interesting incident when Hazrat Omar came to Palestine in the initial visits of Sham, he came to Sham, uh, one Roman soldier saw him. And seeing him being a foreigner, and Romans, uh, uh, belittle Arabs, he says to him, that, you know what, there is this yard here that I want you to clean. So Hazrat Omar says, uh, uh, I apologize for that, but I cannot do that because I'm not here for this, and I'm not working for you, I'm here on trade. He says, see, you people have to just listen to what we say, and you just get it done. Hazrat Omar says, but I'm not prepared to do it. Anyway, he tried to handle Hazrat Omar, Hazrat Omar watered him off, and pushed him away, 
And this man, in his anger, called the others, and they chased Hazrat Omar. So they laid chase, and as Hazrat Omar is escaping, one uh, priest notices this, a scholar of the Bible. And he then calls Hazrat Omar, and he hides him in his monastery. And in this, after everything was settled and calm outside, he served Hazrat Omar with a meal. And at the end, Hazrat Omar wanted to leave, but he said, I want you to sign this document. He says, why? What do you want? Well, what is it? In, what is in this? He says, no, when you rule these lands, I want you to show me kindness and see me right. So Hazrat Omar reacted, but what do you mean when I rule these lands? What do you mean about that? But just the crux, I've mentioned this incident before, but this part of the incident I want to mention, that Hazrat Omar was even mentioned in their books. Back to his brother Hazrat Zaid. So Hazrat Zaid was an amazing person. Even at the time of Hijrah, he journeyed the journey of Hijrah with his brother, Hazrat Omar. And in Medina Munawara, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam created a pact of brotherhood between Hazrat Zaid and Hazrat Ma'an, another very great Sahabi. We always hear the story of a Sahabi who said that others was, were really saddened when Nabi Sallallahu departed from this transitory world. But Hazrat Ma'an gave them encouragement and said that, you know, we should actually make shukr that Allah gave us tawfiq to believe in Nabi Sallallahu in his lifetime. And now that he has departed from this transitory world, our iman is just as strong upon Allah and his Rasul So Allah gives us the opportunity to have both sorts of iman. Iman upon him in his presence, iman upon him after he has departed and returned to his Lord. Amantu bihi hayyan kama amantu bihi, you know, this was the statement of Hazrat Ma'an. And Hazrat Umar, uh, Allah's Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam created the pact of brotherhood between Hazrat Ma'an and Hazrat Zaid. So they lived their lives together. And Hazrat Umar wedded the daughter of Abu Lubaba bin Abdul Mundir. And anyway, the child from that wedlock was very tiny. His name was Abdul Rahman. So the grandfather, so the, the, the mother's father, the mother's father, Hazrat Lubaba, Abu Lubaba, brought the child to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He gave du'as to the child, a little tiny child. He was like the tiniest child. And he became the tallest, largest sahabi, the barakat of the du'a of Janabi Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when Hazrat Zaid, after, in the time of Hazrat Abu Bakr, when there was the war against the apostates, the murtadid, especially Musaylim al in that battle, Hazrat Zaid became shaheed. When Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar, Hazrat Umar's son, returned to Medina, Hazrat Umar said to him, How dare you show me your face? Your uncle has gone in Allah's way and accepted a shaheed, and you come before me. The son of Hazrat Umar responded, Father, he asked Allah for martyrdom. I also tried, but I wasn't given that fortune. Hazrat Umar would say, Whenever the wind blows from the east, I think of Zaid. He superseded me, Allah, to Islam, that he was my motivation, and he also superseded me to martyrdom. You accepted him as a shaheed before me. Hazrat Umar always remembered his brother. And one day he actually met the man who assassinated Hazrat Umar's brother. And imagine, this man came to embrace Islam. Look at Sahaba. Their lives became the means of humanity in Hidayah. So Hazrat Umar says to him, that you know, you killed my brother. Don't you have any shame? He says, you know, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, Allah honored him at my hands. And I thank Allah who didn't disgrace me at his hands. Because he died at my hands as a shaheed. I was a non-believer. Imagine if I had to die at his hands, it would have been worse. 
As the last question, there's just about three or four minutes left. Uh, Mufti Sab, who was that youngster who, by whose hands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had accepted and many had um, become or got hidayat from him? Jazakallah for that opportunity because we mentioned the Buddha last week and let's just finish that part. This is chapter 85 and as Muslims read this chapter where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Qutila ashabul ukhdud Destruction is the lot of the people who dug those trenches, the people of the trenches. Because there was this king who was Jewish, but he had this, um, um, he had magic. He led people through his magic and his sorcery. And this is the sad reality of Judaism. This is how they fell into uh, magic and sorcery and left the actual original teaching of the Anbiya alayhim as-salatu min Allah wa taslimah. So this Jewish uh, ruler then led the people through his magician and then his magician wanted someone to teach, to carry on with these efforts after he would die because his age was really advanced and this youngster was chosen by the king and as he would go and learn and study by the magician, en route he would meet this alim, this scholar and this pious, righteous ascetic, and he would enter his place of prayer, a masjid, and learn from him. Cutting a long story short, his faith and iman grew so strong. And this is why, importantly, respected Ummah, make sure our children attend the maktab classes. At the end of the discussion, when the king heard how many people were helped by this boy, by this boy's du'as, Abdullah He would make dua for them and Allah would cure them. And then they would say, please help us. He would say, I can't cure you. Allah is the curer. And so many people were helped like this. At the end, the king assassinated the teacher of the boy. And then after that, he wanted the boy to come back to, 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 to the king so that he could use him to manip- manipulate the people. So he sent the boy with his soldiers to get the boy killed or he could, uh, you know, uh, 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 come back to his way. And Allah, this youngster would make dua. Allah, you sort them out. And Allah would defeat the soldiers 
for him. And each time, until the boy at the end said, if you really want to kill me, then you have to take my Allah's name and gather everyone, the entire country, and take the name of Allah, and then you'll be able to kill me. The king thought he wanted to get rid of the boy. He didn't realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. And in that, Allah Allah ta'ala accepted this boy. Everyone had gathered. And I've seen this amazing scene because they know of this boy. Because the last few years, he spent guiding them all to Allah. Telling them, La ashfi ahadan inna ma yashfi Allah. La ashfi ahadan inna ma yashfi Allah. And when Bismillah was uttered, Bismillah hadan ghulam, in the name of Allah, the Lord of the boy. And all the people heard about the Lord of the boy, because he gave them all da'wah to Allah. And as he strikes the boy, and the boy dies, Abdullah Tamir Rahimahullah, he died and gave his worldly life for Allah. But thousands and thousands got hidayah. And that's why the trench, the trenches were dug. The Quran Shari speaks of these trenches, because the king didn't realize that he lost actually. Because so many people got hidayah, he didn't want them to embrace Islam. And they were all thrown into this, these trenches. And among that, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said there was one mother who was slightly reluctant because she had her infant baby in her hand. So she, she was reluctant. And then she, the, Allah made the child speak. So here we finish up with this, that the people of Gaza are giving their lives and humanity is getting hidayah. Let us also make a difference and talk to the world at least and make a difference in our lives. We request your du'as as well and for the Ummah as well. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.